everyone. I'm Sherlane Quayle, and this is The Power Lane, a weekly podcast created to inspire and empower people everywhere to move into and thrive within their unique power lane. We are back for part three of our conversation with Linda Stay. If you haven't listened to parts one and two yet, please do. They illuminate the context for this last chapter of her power lane journey to date. Thanks for being here. A little more than a year ago, um, Aiden came to to us and said that they they came out as non-binary. And I, I'm like, help me understand that. I, I don't quite understand, you know, they, them, and okay, okay, I, I can go there. Aiden was always a tomboy, like me. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was just like me. <laughs> and so as we've talked, it was, Mom, I tried to tell you I was a boy. I tried to tell you. And you didn't listen. Mm-hmm. And I explained to him that, honey, I, I thought you were just like me. I loved that bond that we had. Oh, could beat up any kid on the block and, you know, build forts and yeah. sports. And, you know, we, we, we were just like that. I was just like that. Only I hit puberty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, oh, it all changed, yeah. you know. Yeah. And they didn't yeah. change, yeah. right? And well, and you're also seeing it through your lens and your experience, exactly. right? So you, sometimes we can only hear what we can hear until we till that perspective yeah. shifts, and yeah. that's what he was helping you do in that moment. Yes, and so then it it wasn't long until, and so Aiden is an incredible singer songwriter with a voice that just is again, unique and special. And their songwriting abilities are, are just special. Um, and so they, then they came to me and they said, I, I need to have top surgery. I need to have the body uh, dysmorphia is really getting to me. And, and I, I need to do this. And how do you think your experience with Cushing's and that body dysmorphia that you felt all those years ago with your own illness, which was an illness, right? You didn't yeah, bring it on. Exactly. It was something that you had to deal with and had to adjust. I mean, I can only imagine how much empathy that allowed you to have. Yes. Yes. For yeah. For Aiden's yeah. you know, request and and knowledge that this was right for him. Yeah. And Aiden told me at the time, you know, I, I need to transition, but I'm not gonna do the testosterone. Because I don't want to mess with my voice. I don't want to risk that. Because their career is just, it's starting to, to boom, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's really just taking flight. And so I, I breathe, okay, oh good. Don't mess with your voice, babe. You know? It's your choice. It's, yeah, it's like, okay, okay, oh good, that's good. And then a couple of months later, they came to me with tears and said, Mom... I have to start testosterone or I'll die. What? They said, I have to, I want to feel that I need to present as a man. I'm a man. This is how I feel and I want that expression to be. I need to present and I'm not going to be able to until without the testosterone. And... If I have to give up my voice, I have to, or I will die. Yep. And I, it hit me so deeply. It's like, 
I'm so grateful that he chose to have the courage to risk his voice and also his identity. Exactly. And this, I mean, that had been his identity for his life. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that voice was a huge part of it. Yes. And and it, I I just realized this this is so this goes so deep to the core. And I'm I'm just so grateful that he didn't choose the other way and and end his life. Right. Absolutely. And and, and that is, would have been tragedy is working on accepting the changes and it's been they they put on their first concert since being on testosterone for two two months the other night and and it was like wow it's deeper i'm i'm surprised at how much it's dropped so quickly Uh because usually they say it takes more time than two months Right. right and how it's dropped and and it's raspier and and you know there he says I I don't want to get into comparing my voice that doesn't make sense I you know it's not going to be helpful I want to get focus on discovering and embracing even getting used to this new voice right. that is coming out of me. Yes. And that's gotta be, I, I, I don't know how to even describe how to try to comprehend how that would feel. Yeah. You know, how, how is that for you as his mom, you know, going through this transition and understanding, you know, being the mom of gay kids is hard anyway. And I'm still learning all the language and, you know, I'm definitely in that ally slash advocacy space kind of moving into that, I guess, because I too feel like who cares? These are beautiful humans and it doesn't matter if you are homeless or if you are Asian or if you are Gay. I mean, who cares? Like none of these things matter, right? Yeah. We're all human beings and yeah. it's how we treat one another yeah. that defines us yeah. in, in, from my perspective. And I'm curious for you as a mom, I mean, I know how proud you are of them and their courage. How has it felt for you? What have your struggles been? What have your ahas been, you know, since you said, I know this is me now. I'm accepting this. This is all that matters for me is my kids are happy mm-hmm. and alive yeah. and thriving. Yeah. Um, have there been times when you've wavered in that or felt, oh crap, is this the right thing to do? You know, do I just blindly support? Like how, how does that? Honestly, I've, I've never wavered. Yeah. Um, and I'm grateful. My only, the only thing that comes up for me is the fear of their safety. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's me getting past the fear of them being mistreated right. and or hurt. being their authentic self. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. And so that's, um, it, it's never, I guess what I learned with Tyler in that very beginning was Tyler hasn't changed. I just now know more fully who he is. Right. Yeah. And Aiden hasn't changed. I now just understand more fully who he is. And, you know, I, I think that it's interesting because, you know, through the last few years, I, I found myself at Switchpoint, right? And that was a, another piece where uh, dear gay friends, uh, Rod and Jeff, who are huge supporters of Switchpoint and volunteer every week in the pantry and just have done so much for Switchpoint, you know, kept telling me, Linda, you need, to, you need to be over there. They need you and you and Carolyn. So I did. And um, I remember after that first successful event that I had, I went out in the car and just sobbed. And I knew that, and Aiden was at, at one of those events and said, Mom, I've never been more proud of you for the work that you're doing, you know, before your advocacy, your voice for the LGBTQ community, but this steps it up to such a broader community, including the LGBTQ, but I felt like everything that I had gone through in my life, the divorce, the brain tumor, the, you know, oh, we didn't even, I didn't even get to cancer. I mean, <laughs> we're going to circle yeah, back to that one. Because uh, the brain tumor wasn't cancerous, no, right? It no, was just causing so, the Cushing's yeah. just, I shouldn't say just. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the aggressive cancer that surviving that, um, but I felt like everything in my life had prepared me to be where I'm at with Switchpoint. Yep. Because Switchpoint is, they're changing the model of how we deal with homelessness and how we support them to solve homelessness. We're doing it yep. here. And to be able to be part of communicating that and asking for our community's support in the way of monetary donations and volunteerism and, and to advocate for the people that we serve and help people understand it's not who you think. No, They're not lazy drug addicts that are schizophrenic. That, no. That's not the norm. Obviously, we do serve that segment of people the population as well. They but still deserve to be treated with dignity. The, uh, yes. Yeah. And they, they deserve to be seen beyond their circumstance. Exactly. And, and that's my, my hope, is that the gay community can be seen beyond their label mm -hmm. of being gay. That's just a piece of them. Yeah. It's not who they are. And people experiencing homelessness and and extreme poverty, you know, we need to see them beyond, again, beyond their circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
I'm, I'm thinking about your ability to see beyond their circumstance and thinking about other people's at the experiences you've had with others as you've shared your story, you know, the physician who the original, uh, original neurosurgeon who didn't believe in your decision as a personal, you know, for your own personal health decisions. Um, they were not able to see beyond, see you beyond your circumstance and probably your first husband, Oh, you know, not able to even see himself beyond his circumstance. Exactly. Um, and what a gift it is for all of us that you have that ability and that you live your life that way. I mean, I think that's probably one of the things that that attracted Steve to you in that very beginning is because you you had found this place of your own power absolutely at that point and had made those decisions that probably set you firmly on the, in your power lane, like (laughs) in these certain ways, I'm never getting out of it. Right. Like no way I know, I know who I am and I'm not going back. And that ability to see people beyond their circumstance and also to meet them where they are Mm -hmm. and help come along their journey with them. Yes. You know, that's, it's one of the things I, I love about Carol too. And you two work really well together um, in that regard, especially um, I feel honored, you know, to get to be on the board and to be a part of a switch point, obviously um, for all of those reasons too. But I'm struck by that, that thread through your story of, the ability to look beyond the circumstance and see the the heart at the core of every human. It really is a very, very special gift. Well, I, and I, you can see that I've always been a cause-driven person. <laughs> I, will, I will work to the ends of the earth for a cause, mm-hmm. you know, and at first that was the Mormon church. And then it was trying to save my husband. And then it was trying to save all the hormonally screwed up women out there. <laughs> you know? And, and so I, money doesn't, isn't a motivator for me. It's the, um, it's the purpose and the passion that I, I'm a deeply passionate person. Yeah. Um, and I, I wear that openly and, and proudly. I used to be really embarrassed that I was a crier and, and I've learned to, to just say I'm a crier and I feel deeply. And sometimes that's hard, you know, that's, that's a weight to bear because I feel things so, so deeply. Um, and you know, um, getting getting through through cancer. Just going back to that real yeah, let's quick. Let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, how did that come on? When did it happen? Where were you in this? Your story. Did that pop in? Yeah. So, I am. I'm eight years out from treatment. Um, so it was 2015 that I was diagnosed, and um, when you say from treatment, that was from your... From chemo and all of that. You are now. I'm You're now, now eight, eight years, years out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I... Uh, 
you know, I was, I was diagnosed and my, my poor kids, I always said that I would never do chemo because it's the chemo that kills you. You know, I never do chemo. They wanted to put, you know, put me on chemo with the brain tumor. I'm like, no, no, you know. So my, my kids had been raised with me saying, I would never do that because chemo kills you. I don't know anybody that's gone through chemo that's still alive. You know? <laughs> anyway. Oh, so, our, our so, self-righteous yes, beliefs yes. sometimes, so huh? when this came on, um, I had gone to Mexico for treatment back in 1996 for the brain tumor to alternative hospital down there. And, and I had reconnected with my doctors down there in, um, 20, 2013, 2014, we lived down there. Okay. And so I'd re I'd gone in for, you know, checkups and boost ups and, you know, like, uh, things are not good. Let's whip you through this the treatment stuff down there. You so know. throughout this stuff, you also lived in Mexico for a while. For a year, yeah. Okay. Yeah, a year and a half. And um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, I I told the oncologist here that I, you know, I'm, I'm going to look at other options and I'm sending all of the diagnostic down to my doctors in Mexico. And she was amazing, was not threatened by that. The more eyes on this, the better. So blah, that blah, blah. Completely it was different than the other experience. And, you know, and listening to me. Yeah. And, and, and like respecting that I know my body, right? And so sent it all down there and did a did a call with them and they said, Linda, this is really aggressive. And we, you know, so down there they'll do modified chemo, they'll they'll do surgery at a last resort. All of that is at a last resort, let's throw all this other stuff at you and see if we can't get you stabilized. Um, and then if we have to, we'll do this. Um, so they, they came back and they said, and the, the protocol that they here, Dr. Gilbert had recommended was a bilateral mastectomy and uh, a very aggressive chemo, three different types and, and whatnot. And so... The doctors down there looked at this and said, Linda, this is, this is aggressive and we concur with the treatment plan. Oh, um, do the treatment plan there and then come down here and we'll put you back together You know, when, when you're done. And again, another baseball bat to the gut because I, I just was like... You're like, no, I don't want to uh, have to uh, choose uh, that. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, yeah. And then, so my, my brother was dealing with um, colon cancer. And he was stage four when he was diagnosed, and he just fought it all the traditional way, Stanford docs and whatnot, and all the trials. And so he was quite, he had beat the odds. They gave him, like, same thing, three months to live. And, Is and that what by, they gave you? Um, no, not with the cancer diagnosis. Okay. It was, that was before. That was the brain tumor. Yes, thing. that was the brain yeah. tumor. So, um, he, I called him first, you know, and, and I, I said, can, can I, can I do this without telling mom? <laughs> he says, no, you can't. You need everybody on board. And he just said, Linda, you need to know this. He said, you fight like hell. And he said, we don't die. Cancer does not win. And he said, I need you to promise me that you will fight like hell. Please, Linda. And 
So I promised him that I would. And uh, then we got all our kids on a, on a call to, to tell them and told them that I had, had this and that I was going to do uh, the chemo. And Aiden freaked out. Aiden was 12 when I had the brain tumor, was diagnosed with the brain tumor. And because I was so sick, so much of the responsibility of the family landed on Aiden. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a big burden. Yeah. And Aiden freaked out. He's like, you're going to die, you're going to die. And it was like almost through the phone. Aiden, shut up. You're not 12. I'm going to be okay. You know? <laughs> so get back here. So anyway, um, so I, I went through that. And, and it was actually the year after following chemo. So my, my sister had a stroke and died. Um, and, you know, while I was going through that, and that was really, really difficult. And, um, was that the sister that took you to the doctor with the lump? Yeah. <laughs> and then my, my mother-in-law had passed the year before, um, diagnosed with multiple myeloma and seven weeks later she was dead. And, you know, and anyway, um, chemo brain is a real thing. And so it it messes with your with your mind. If you if you know people that have gone through chemo, people are there for you while you're going through it, and then afterwards you're kind of left alone. And that's when you really need to be talking to your your people and and asking them. So I again I can't think, I can't process, I can't and for somebody that was a doer and a list maker and check it off the list and multitasker to the max and an overachiever. And now I can't, I can't think, I can't process, I can't, I'm not functioning. And so again, the suicidality of, I can't live with this brain. Steve deserves better. I, I would rather be dead. I wish I hadn't survived. And you suffer in silence because you, I can't share that with Steve. He has been juicing for me and hauling me over to get ozone therapies in between, you know, and I mean, we, he has dedicated his life to saving mine. And so you, you do, you suffer in silence, you're so alone. And so Morgan... I somehow I struggle and she said, Mom, when was the last time you read Return to Love, Marianne Williamson's Return to Love? And I was like, oh gosh, 20 years ago probably. And she inspired me and I, I pulled it out and I read it. And in there, she has a section where she has AIDS patients or cancer patients write a letter to AIDS or to cancer. And, and I, I just knew I had to do that. And so... I, I was in a grief group. I started a grief group on the suggestion of my other daughter. She says, Mom, you've never dealt with the, the death. And by this time, um, my brother was close to death. But she says, you've never, you haven't grieved Annie. You were so sick. And so she's, I started this group. And in the group, you take a picture of who you're um, grieving. And um, actually, my brother had also passed at this time. And so I took a picture of, of Ann and Kent, and I'm there, and we're talking and everything, and it, and it hits me 
she gives us an assignment, and I come back the next week with a picture of my favorite picture of me and Steve, and we're laughing. And I bring that back, and she says, what's this about? I said, what I'm really grieving is the loss of me and Steve, and that our spontaneity, our we can conquer the world, we're invincible, together we can do anything. And that was all gone. The, the f- we had a deal in our marriage that there would be no withholds. Mm-hmm. And um, meaning you don't keep something from me to try to protect me. Right. Well, through cancer, guess what? It's all withholds. Yeah. You have to, to survive. Yeah. And that's what, I was like, I, I miss us. Yeah. I miss our relationship. That's what I'm grieving. So anyway, I wrote this letter to cancer, all that you took from me. And then you write the letter back. And the letter back that came to me was, Dear Linda, I was just doing my thing. Nothing personal. And that was it. That was it. That was the letter back. I was just being me. And it was so profound. So I always I wanted to get a tattoo, a cancer <laughs> tattoo. Don't you don't you need a cancer of tattoo? You do. And so we were sitting around talking about it, and we were talking about return to love and what how that transformed me. And so it's like I was thinking of just getting the text return to love, and then my daughter or somebody maybe Steve. What if there you could do a symbol. We were all together. And and so my daughter grabbed a pencil and drew the one half of the heart Mm -hmm. with an arrow pointing in. And then the number two is the second Uh, part of the the heart, two. And then love is the EKG starting the heart. (laughs) So... Anyway. Oh, I love that symbolism. And I'm glad you described it because I've been looking at your tattoo, but I didn't catch the arrow and I didn't catch yeah. the two until you say it. And now I absolutely, yeah. I saw the heart for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Linda, that is really beautiful. And here you are. And you it, beat that damn cancer. <laughs> I did. You know? I did. And, and I don't plan on it ever raising its, I mean, I, I do. I feel like I'm completely <laughs> behind it. Good. Well, and it. it was interesting too, because it's response back to you in that letter was basically like, see beyond the circumstance. Yeah. You know, going right back to that thread. It was like, let me help you yeah. see beyond your circumstance. Yeah. This is just I was just, just doing my, yeah. yeah it I was, was just it doing was my just thing. This, yeah. And what, what is it in it for you? Yeah. What, what do you get to take out of this yeah. and share with the world? And, oh my God. <sighs> wow, thank you. You're welcome. I have one final question before we part which is always the hardest part of these podcasts (laughs) is wrapping it up. Um, And that is how would you finish the sentence? Mm. Power is. Power is gratitude. (laughs) Because gratitude keeps you present and it leads to acceptance And when you're in acceptance and not resisting what is, you can find the peace. 
It's the resistance that causes the suffering. That's beautiful. So, gratitude. Mm. I, I want to share my quote, though. Oh, please I, I share to, a quote. I have to share my please, quote. Please, please, please. I love it when you bring up all of these prep questions and work them in. <laughs> yeah, it's so... My favorite quote, and it's what I live by, is Albert Einstein. Nothing that I can do will change the structure of the universe, but maybe by raising my voice, I can help the greatest of all causes, goodwill among men and peace on earth. Oh, wow. I'm really glad you shared that. And I can completely see why it is of your mantra and why you live by it you definitely do well I've shed quite a few tears I'm on like napkin number three Kleenex number three <laughs> thank you so much for being here and for sharing you and just opening up you know these conversations are hard conversations to have and sometimes they're hard conversations to listen to my hope is that at whatever level, every single listener who's tuning in, at whatever level it resonates with them, that they take something and it makes them it makes them feel more themselves in one way or another. And I've had many, many of those throughout this throughout this time together. So thank you very, very much. I, I kind of at a loss for words. <laughs> you are very special and I really am grateful. Thank you so much for having me and for being in my life. I, I appreciate all the inspiration that, that you bring to me and the beautiful power that you model with such grace and diplomacy. I've witnessed your diplomacy when I want to scream and shout. <laughs> so thank you. Thank yeah, you. sometimes sometimes there's a lot of power in peace. And sometimes it takes a lot of a lot of courage to do that, you know. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. <clears throat> well, that wraps this episode of the Powerlane Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Find us at powerlanepodcast.com and wherever you listen and follow us on socials at Powerlane Podcast. Tune in each week to gain more insight, wisdom, and tools for your Powerlane journey.